Hello, listeners. This is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is PSG Small Cup Talk for Thursday, July 12, 2018. On today's show, I am joined by John Olangi and Eduardo Razo to review the semifinal games of the World Cup and preview the final between France and Croatia. Make sure to follow PSG Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our podcast, PSG Talking and PSG Small Talk, for all of our audio content. Make sure to visit the website, psgtalk.com, and visit our Patreon page. We'll be with you on the other side of the music. So today I am joined not by just one guest, but by two guests, um, regulars of the show, John Olangi and Eduardo Razo. They are here to help me preview the final of the 2018 FIFA World Cup. Um, let's start with John. How are you doing on this fine afternoon? Pretty good, man. Uh, we're maintaining. Uh, we got some rain down south here in Charlotte, North Carolina, you know, to get get some of that heat off of us for a little bit, but uh, I'm doing good. Can't complain. And all the way from Los Angeles, California, it's Eduardo Razo, who is now up at 9 in the morning over there. How are we doing? <laughs> good. It's, it's morning. The heat, you know, we were talking about on Sunday is, is finally dying down. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a good summer, summer morning in L.A. Absolutely great to hear. So let's start off with the semifinals that were just played on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, we'll start with France and Belgium. Um, John, your takeaway from that France-Belgium game, any, any, anywhere you want to take it, anything you're thinking? Um, I, it was an interesting matchup in terms of uh, the styles of plays from both countries and Honest, to be quite honest with you, I didn't know, you know, I didn't really know how it was going to go, but I should have, right? Like, in terms of it was going to come down to the midfield and Lukaku and Hazard, how they were going to play. And France's midfield, again, what they've kept showing us, they're dominating the midfield. They're playing really, really good football. And just the, the I guess, the chemistry between uh, Pogba Golo Kante and Blaise Matuidi, who had a phenomenal match before he uh, he, he picked up that knock. And uh, I think it was the, the better team won, you know, just to keep it very simplistic. The better team won. Belgium couldn't really hit them on the counter the way they did with uh, to Brazil. And that was pretty much their whole game plan going into it. And again, if Lukaku isn't able to break down a defense, that kind of makes them one-dimensional in that sense. And Varane and Umtiti had a phenomenal match. Hugo Lloris came in with some big saves. Uh, again, he's growing on me in this tournament. So I think the better team won, and, um, you know, that's just that's what it was. And I'm kind of mad that Brazil couldn't build, beat that Belgium team. <laughs> Eddie, would you agree that Belgium, that uh, France were the better team? Yeah, I'd say I'd agree. Uh, I'm, I had a... I was really surprised by Blaise Matuidi. He had like I think he was one of my man of the matches. Even uh, um, he had a phenomenal game, and, and I echo what John said. Hugo Lloris came up big when um, when uh, France needed him to come up big. So um, you know it, it, they got contributions from 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 people you didn't ex- um, and I think that that's, that was the deciding factor. Uh, obviously, their stars are going to show up. I always believe that 
it's always a supporting cast that tilts uh, the victory uh, to a squad. And Brazil, I mean, not Brazil, France got um, contributions from, from Lloris and Tweedy. I would say that I agree with both of you. I think France, in the end, I think we're the better coach team. I think they were the more organized team. I think they were the more, um, I think they were just the, they were the more balanced group on, uh, in total. And you watch that Brazil Belgium game and it was a really sort, it was a game that played into Belgium's hands in a lot of ways. They were able to sit back. They were able to be physical. They were able to counter and they kind of took advantage of a Brazil, a team that defensively hadn't really been challenged in the entire tournament. Really hadn't been challenged for a year and a half. This France team is weather tested. They have, over the course of this tournament, found a way to kind of come together as a collective in a way that I think we all thought was possible, maybe not necessarily probable. I think that we all would have said at the beginning that France had this type of talent and had this ability in them. All that they really needed to do was come together as a team and have the right person to bring them together. And I'll I'll say when I'm wrong, I was wrong about Didier Deschamps and his ability to sort of tactically get this team right. I always thought he was a good uh, man-manager and a good, you know a good guy for that locker room after sort of years of French instability. I did not think he would be this sort of solid tactically. And he's not doing things that are special or out of the ordinary. They're just sticking to a plan. Every one of their players is bought in. Paul Pogba's in the box playing as well as I think he's played in two, three years. Um, Even the guys that aren't particularly playing well are still contributing. Griezmann's doing what he needs to do. Giroud is not completely screwing up. And it, it just, it feels like they found themselves in this tournament. And I just want to ask Eddie, how surprised are you that France were able to sort of bring this all together in a way that Argentina, Spain, Germany, and Brazil were not able to do? Yeah, no, I was, I was, I'm not remotely shocked. I, you know, you would think that, you know, Didier Deschamps would be able to, um, you know, get this group together and, and realize their potential. I mean, we saw this at Euro 2016. So I, I thought, you know, they, they, they had, you know, we've seen glances, you know, 2016 was an obvious one where, you know, they were able to ride. Granted, they were at home and they would have ride, they were able to ride that wave, but they were, I believe that, you know, they, I, this group already had experience going to a final. Um, and I, 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 I'd say I was, you know, mildly shocked and surprised. John, do you think that, um, who do you think, uh, if I gave you three names, and these would be the three names of the people that I've kind of put as the, um, people who've had the most to prove. Didier Deschamps, Olivier Giroud, and Hugo Lloris, because I had questions about all of them going into this tournament. Who would you say has proven the most out of that? Uh, I would put Deschamps at the top and then slightly below him, Lloris. Giroud, I think he's just one of those guys. He, he brings structure to the team. So, you know, that that is what it is. But Deschamps, you know, it, it comes down to 
if if France isn't in the final right now, we're going to be ripping him. We're going to be talking crap about him. Oh, he didn't get it right. He didn't do this right. So for him to kind of stick with what he's been doing the past couple of years with that international team, to me, is one of, been one of the biggest, I guess, it's not even an overachievement. It's like he's proved all of us wrong. Like, And I think a big testament to that is if you look at all the teams that – are, well, just the two teams that are left, and if you can go back to the semifinals, the four teams, it's that this group, this France group, has been together for a while. Like, you can, you know, Matuidi's a veteran, uh, you know, Varane, Umtiti, Loris, even though they're younger, Paul Pogba, they're younger, but they've been on this France team for a long time. And I think that's one of their advantages, and that's and that's what Didier Deschamps kind of stuck with, and, and, and a credit to him. He stuck with what's gotten him to this point, what got him to the Euro uh, 2016 finals, and it's been really impressive. And as far as Lloris, for me, it was just like, it wasn't one of those things. He came into the tournament, uh, you know, uh, not in form, but like he he started the tournament not in form. He didn't play great in the group stages, but as the tournament grew, he got better. And just the saves that he made, it was like I—I I definitely didn't think he could still make those those saves simply based off of what I've seen from him recently. So I was impressed by them too. And um, I think, again, I think the familiarity between this entire group uh, is what's gotten France this far. And they obviously they have the talent. They have a good mixture of young guys, older guys, and, and they, like you said, they've all bought into Deschamps. They're familiar with them. They like him. They root for him. They talk good about him. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they play in the final. They've also done a really good job of, and you kind of touched on this, which is mixing sort of the younger players with the older players. You've seen how um, Kylian Mbappe has been integrated into the team. How you replace Patrice Evra with Benjamin uh, with uh, Benjamin Pavard. You replace um, Laurent Koscielny with Umtiti and Varane. And this team that in 2016 was a little older, but you had a little more experience. They were able to slowly, they're slowly turning the team over. And they've almost hit, and I I talk about the World Cup sometimes as a chemistry experiment. Can you get the team right for seven games? And you feel like France have gotten, it feels like the chemistry has worked. Whatever little tinkering has been done, et cetera, et cetera, it's all worked. And it's rare, again, it's obviously rare for that to happen because only one team wins the World Cup every four years. So you have to, you have to give him credit. I think it's, it's really been his consistency. And I'll, and let, let's, before we go to the, the next semifinal, let's talk about Belgium. Let's put a little bow around Belgium. Um, I think they had a golden generation. I think the golden generation got as far as it could. I don't think talent-wise they're at France's level per se. They have really good players. But you did see the limitations of their golden generation. When you have a player like Chadley playing on the right wing, and you have Witzel, and you have an older Vincent Company, and you have Jan Vertonghen, who's a good center back, not a great center back. They have a lot of talent. Even Lukaku, who's on and off, but had been mostly on in this tournament. 
I think Belgium had a really good golden generation, but they didn't have that... I guess we could call them a silver generation in that way. They had really good players, but they just never had the players to win a tournament like the World Cup. Eddie, take that one. All right, so Eddie, you're breaking up a little bit on us. We're going to go to John and then Eddie, see if you can kind of fix that up. Yeah, about the about the Belgium team, like it's really weird to see how they they haven't been able to take that next step, and we thought it was happening right when they beat Brazil, and um, you know it's, it's it's sort of the thing that happened with England. It's when you when you sort of when you play in in the weaker group stages, it kind of comes it kind of comes back to bite you in the end when you're in the quarters and semifinals. But in terms of the team and, and, and the, the talent they have, they have world-class talent all over the pitch. And I think the difference with them is, and, and France, is that France, like the entire starting 11, is, is a solid, good players. And, and like you, you, uh, you, you brought up Bertongen and Chadley and some of these guys who aren't on the level of Lukaku and Kevin De Bruyne, you know what I mean, and Thibaut Courtois. So... You know, they, they were lacking there, but they had the talent to get there. But, uh, for me, it came down to what I, why I thought they would lose the Brazil match, which was, um, just, uh, experience, right? Like, I don't think they've, they've went through enough to be able to, to, to win this, this, uh, World Cup. And I think, um, you know, Roberto Martinez, not really a big fan of the guy. He got him as far as he can get, he, he could have get them. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's really unfortunate for this generation, uh, because like I said, they have world class players and they weren't able to do it. But, you know, we'll see who's coming up in the ranks and, and, you know, they have guys like, Yuri Tillemans and, and, and Hazard's little brother, Lukaku's little brother. They have some players coming up, but, you know, I don't think they're going to be able to live up to the expectations of this generation. So we'll see. Uh, Eddie, anything on Belgium? Yeah, uh, I, I believe they have uh, world-class attackers, you know, Hazard, Lukaku, De Bruyne. Um, I just don't feel like they have the midfield and, and, and defense to, to uh, complement that. Um, so it, it, Martinez took them as far as they could, um, with the, with the amount of talent they had on, in, in those, uh, positions. It's not something, you know, they, they obviously not the World Cup, you know, is, is going to sour on, on the team and the squad. Um, but it's, it's not, you know, losing to France in the semifinal isn't something they should be, um, selling short. Um, France is, you know, a more complete team and, you know, they knocked off Brazil. But, you know, it would be interesting to see how they regroup. I think they have at least one more World Cup. And then a lot of the guys are in their early 20s, mid, uh, mid-20s. mid So, I believe, you know, they're going to have one more chance at this. But it's just interesting to see how, you know, Belgium are able to uh, retool their midfield and defense for, you know, Euro 2020 and, um, and uh, Qatar 2022. Yeah, I think that Euro tournament's going to be big for Belgium. Because I think it's going to – I really think it's going to be their last – Really good shot to win a major trophy with the type of, with the talent that they have in the points in their lives that they are. Uh, let's move on to the second semifinal, which was played yesterday between Croatia and England. Let's first of all just start on Croatia. They have now played three consecutive extra time games, which is the equivalent of four full games. They have trailed in every single one of them. They have come back to win every single one of them. Two on penalties and one in extra time. 
This is an absolutely amazing run for Croatia. Not just because it's one of the smallest nations to ever make a World Cup final, but the way they've done it, the teams, the, the sort of the way they've put themselves in these situations, gotten themselves out, wasted every ounce of energy that they could possibly expend out of their bodies, and now they're in the World Cup final. Talk about Croatia and what impresses you the most about them, Eddie? Hey, the, the ability not to not to panic when they fall back um, a goal, you know, when they give mm. up a goal. A lot of teams we've seen this World Cup, you know, being a Mexico fan, um, you know, when an opponent scores one goal, it's already the squad starts to panic, you know. Um, but Croatia doesn't. Croatia falls, you know, they were down one nothing in Russia against Russia. And they were able to pull out, you know, a victory against the home team. So my, I like the way they've kept their composure. Nothing, nothing rattles their cages. Um, you know, it, it helps having, you know, Modric and Rakitic both who've competed in big matches and at the club level. So it's, it's nice for the club, I mean, for the squad to have that, that composure of those two orchestrating the attack as well as Mandzukic, you know, who's played in big matches as well. So, um, they, they have the experience at the club level. And a lot, and, and the ability to, to keep their composure really, I think, has really uh, infiltrated the entire squad. John, Croatia have a character that I, I think is rare in international football, especially these days. They have a togetherness, they have a unity, and you feel like when they play, they can always sort of go into the reserves and get into that other gear. And in that game against England, when it looked like England were just kind of kind of ice the game out, which I honestly thought was going to happen. I felt like Croatia had run out of gas, but then for the first time in this tournament, you saw a team go to that sort of Kaiser Soze level and just be ruthless and efficient and almost like cyborgs. Just you, you it was it was incredible to watch and England had no answer for it because of course England had no answer for it. I mean, the only time I've seen a team get close to that was France against Argentina, when they just turned that game completely around after the Pavard goal. So, I I just think this Croatian team has something special about them. Obviously, they do. They're in the World Cup final. But just anything you want to say about Croatia, because I feel like this team can't get enough praise. Yeah, it's um, it's really impressive. Like, uh, like just the the first stat that you put out there. That's just nuts. Like, they literally they won. They're like the only team who have not lost or drawn any game so far, right? Like, they they won all their group stage matches. They went into extra time or penalty cases in the rest of the matches, and they're still here. Like to me, that's like that's crazy, and I think it speaks to the kind of toughness they have like a toughness mentality about them i don't know if y'all have seen the the interviews that luca modric gave after the game where he was talking about like the english pundits were uh we're talking about uh Eng- england were the favorites and they you know they he was like we should have killed them off way before extra time like they had the confidence knowing that they were better than everybody and they've proven it thus far i read an article this morning uh on sb nation uh, the guy was talking about uh, Mandzukic, and he he kind of put it in, in a uh, in a scenario where if you ask Mandzukic 
to run through a wall for Croatia to get to the to the World Cup final, he would do it, and he would sit there with blood coming down his face and do whatever he needs to do to get them to the World Cup final. And I think Mandzukic is the type of player that kind of vibrates. His attitude and his the way he plays kind of vibrates throughout the whole team, and um, it's really impressive. So, like you said, there's something special about them. And, and like like um, like Eddie pointed out how they have players who play well at their clubs and that transformed into this team. And I want to give a shout out to uh, Daniel Subasic, Monaco guy, league and player. He was been phenomenal all tournament, you know, with like four. He's had like four um, penalty saves or something crazy like that. And it's it's like you're getting you're getting contributions from everyone. Rakitic, Marjorie, yeah, we talk about them, but you talk about Versalico, Strenis, Perisic, everyone is is doing something and they all will, will will fight for each for each other. They'll go to war and and they're here. And to me, if we want to talk about their run, and we'll probably get into this later, their run to get to this point, you know, you can't really say they're not the favorites in terms of how they've had to struggle to get here and how France has, you know, they've done their job, but yeah, this Croatia team is different, man, and, you know, everything that's going for them, they deserve it. Yeah, they have a weird mix of intelligence, um, perseverance, and desperation. Like, yeah. it's, it's a weird mix, like, they're, yes, they're, they are, per, they are, they persevere through all of this, but they never panic. They never, yeah. they never play outside of themselves. They're able to do the little things necessary, and they don't, and the game never speeds up for them. It always sort of stays at that same level. But you also have that sort of, again, running through a brick wall mentality that this Croatian team has, where, yeah, they'll throw their bodies around, they'll dive around, they'll, they'll, they'll fight for that loose ball, they'll fall on the floor and get up and keep going. It, it's hard not to admire this Croatian team. And as a, as a supporter of France, uh-huh. If I were to lose to any team in this World Cup, in, especially in the final, I would not mind it being Croatia. Now, yeah, no. I would mind it if it would have been England. That would have been a that would have been a problem. That would have been a huge. 100%. That, that would that would not have sat well with me. And I was sitting there for a while thinking, "Oh my God, I have to watch France and England on the edge of my seat, just hoping and hoping and hoping beyond hope." That somehow England doesn't luck their way into this, and we never hear the goddamn end of it. Yeah, we were not going to hear the end of it if they would have made it. Yeah, final. if England would have won this thing, they, they, <laughs> it would, you'd never hear the end of it. Just yeah. like it would, it would be like yeah. it would be four years—not even four years—it'd be fifty years. The rest of our adult lives <laughs> having to hear about this nonsense. I don't want that. I didn't need that. But let's let's just talk about England as a squad in general. And I think it's pretty clear that they hit their ceiling in this game. Once Croatia got that tying goal, it seemed like England's um, game plan of scoring first and holding on for 90 minutes sort of fell apart. And they were never really able to possess the ball in the way that they would have liked to after that goal happened. And it was very clear after that goal, about 10 minutes after, that Croatia were probably going to win this game. Unless it went to penalties and something weird happened. But you have to give England credit. This is a team that is deeply flawed. 
that won its first two games in the group stage earned the right to essentially throw the third game to get to an easier side of the bracket. They beat Colombia without James Rodriguez. They That was kind of a, a, an interesting, weird game where Colombia did a lot of Colombia things. And England got through that. They beat Sweden, who was another team punching above their weight. And then they got to the semifinal. They played the first team that you could say was better than they were, and they lost. So while we can give England credit for not blowing it and not having a terrible tournament like they usually do, you still can't say that this was a sign that English football is anywhere near where it needs to be to be a cup-winning side. So, Eddie... Uh, your final thoughts on uh, on the uh, England national team? Yeah, um, I'm I'm not going to take too much away from from what they did. I mean, I'm going to give them some credit, but like you said, they they pretty much lucked their way into the other side of the bracket. I mean, we all saw that last game against Belgium. Both both squads were playing not to not to win, and um, England got you know they were able to get the. the the loss, so, you know, they played on the other side of the bracket, they beat a Colombia team without Hamas, and, you know, they beat a Sweden team that, you know, was, that overachieved, and, you know, Croatia was the first, you know, country that they, that they faced, um, that had any, you know, that, that, that was, that was quality, and they lose, you know, they, they, they couldn't hold on in that second half, um, and, and then, um, you know, the whole thing just fell apart for them. I'll give them credit, you know, they have a lot of young talent coming up. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do in, in the near future. I, I like Rashford. I like Lindgren. I mean, I know you have your issues with Harry Kane, Mark, but I mean, he's a he's a quality striker. So he has a go it, was, it, it was unfortunate, though. It was unfortunate, though, that Harry Kane couldn't play in that game yesterday. I mean, that that injury just really that injury really ha- must have been bad for him to not even be on the team sheet. Um, you were saying, Eddie? Uh, uh yeah, it's just, they have a lot of young talent. Um, I'm a, I, I really like Trent Alexander-Arnold, so I, it's just interesting to see how they build them, how they take this squad. I think they have, uh, you know, they have Euros, they have at least another World Cup with this squad. I, I mean, we talked about, we took, we mentioned that Garrett Southgate's a, a quality manager, so it's, so it's an interesting, you know, it's gonna be interesting to see how, how they ride this, uh, semi-final wave. John, um, here here would be my concern if I was um, running the FA. At what at some point to win one of these top tournaments, you need a midfielder. You need an actual real midfielder. You need an Ingolo Kante, a Paul Pogba, a Casemiro, a um, from going back in the day, an Iniesta, a Xavi. Uh, you need you need midfielders, and it seemed like. England's strategy was to just play long balls to Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane. And Deli Ali couldn't get himself in the game. He's not really a midfielder of that caliber. Um, Jordan Henderson's just not good enough for this elite level. And where is that midfielder coming from? Is there anyone you can think of that could be the, that could, they could put in this roster that will put England over the top in the next two to four years. 
Yeah, I don't know. Like I, you know, I watch the Premier League enough to see who's who's you know on the rise or whatever. Like I don't see anyone that can kind of take them to the next level right now. I think their problem is how we talked about other teams have a good mixture of older and younger players. Their younger players are good. Their veterans, not so much. Like you said, John uh, Jordan Henderson, like he was getting, like he they, they he don't know he don't know what to do in that second half where Muldrick and Rakitic were just going at him and Ashley Young, Kyle Walker, these guys, you know, they're okay, but it's it's they they need something else because they have a lot of young talent and with that young talent in these big tournaments. They'll, you know, they'll lose focus, which is, you know, kind of to point out why Croatia kind of won this game, the Mandzukic goal. It was, you know, Mandzukic was engaged the whole time, and you saw, uh, what's his name, John John Stones, is that Stones his name? Stones and McGuire, he split them both, I think. Yeah, he, he, like, he switched off for a, sweat for a quick second. And, and, and Manzuka got, got in front of him and put the goal, um, put the goal in behind Pickford. So I think, you know, a, a, an experienced center back is not going to make that mistake in a big tournament. So they need, they need, uh, uh, they, they need their, um, I guess older guys to, 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 to simply play better. Like you said, Jordan Henderson, he's, he's, he just can't compete in this tournament. Uh, Kyle Walker, he gave up the first goal to Perisic. Uh, Ashley Young, he, he didn't know what he was doing out there. So if, if I, if I pick and choose, you know, what I like from this team, the younger, the younger guys on that team, they, they have what it takes to go to the next level, but they just need a, they just need the veterans to step up or these young guys are going to eventually be the veterans and a new crop of players have to come in, but how long are they going to have to wait? You know what I mean? So, you know, it's, it's interesting to see what's going to happen with this England team. I take them seriously now just because I feel like they, they've kind of gotten an identity that they haven't had in the last, you know, couple of major tournaments. Uh, Southgate was good. Uh, everyone seemed to fall in love with them and rightfully so. Uh, for me, his his only mistake in this tournament was taking out Raheem Sterling in the seventy fourth minute. Uh, when you replace him with Rashford, who yeah, he's probably faster than him, but he's not doing anything creative with his uh, with his speed like Sterling was. Sterling was setting himself up, setting others up, and uh, I think that was a big reason why they couldn't put uh, you know they couldn't threaten Croatia anymore. And once that happened. You know, Croatia saw blood and they picked them out. So uh, I like this team for what it is. Like I said, my only beef is I just do not want to hear that it's coming home. Yeah, like, I, well, I, 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 just, I just don't care for that. Like for me, it speaks to the sort of like uh, it's like we're better than everybody mentality. And uh, what's his name? Yes, uh, Rosalico. Um, yeah, from Rosalico the people. Said it sorry, from the, the people that brought you Brexit, to bring you it's coming home. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> They're gonna have to do it. <laughs> Like it's 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 annoying. I don't know. It's it's really annoying. Like I want to root for the team because I think they're talented guys. I like to watch them play. But yeah, um, their fans yeah, are insufferable. You know, it's okay. Yeah, you know, you know. <laughs> well, I, I just don't want to hear. Yeah, I just want to say because uh, nobody else will say it, so I'll I'll be saying it. So it's some in, in some circles it's on record. Jordan Pickford's a whiny little baby. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> like he's a whiny little. He, he, I mean, how I know why he gets away with that behavior, but yeah. here's a guy who's just ha, has done nothing in his career. Let me just make that point. He's, he plays for Everton. He's done nothing yeah. in his career, 
And he is yelling and cursing at people. He's saying, fuck you to, to the refs. He's cursing out Mario Mandzukic when he's lying on the floor injured. And everyone in England's like, yay, what a warrior. And it's right. like, no. Right. If we're going to have standards, we got to have standards for everybody. We can't just be, okay, Neymar's rolling on the floor. He's a joke. But look at this Jordan Pickford guy cursing at the ref. What a great hero he is. Like, yeah. like stuff like that, that I know there's double standards, and I get they're there, and I know that me yelling about it isn't going to do anything, but yeah. I just feel like it needs to be said. And Harry well, Kane, you, go ahead. Did you see, after Manzuka's goal, they didn't show it on TV, obviously, but there are videos of uh, Rashford and, uh, I forget, I think Deli Alley, they try to start <laughs> to play with while they were still celebrating. Yeah, like, what's going on? So, so my thing was uh, yeah. earlier, if if Croatia or any other team would have did that, oh, the English media would have been on their ass. Like, oh, this is not how you play football. This is whatever. Yeah. It's the same thing that you're talking to Neymar about, how he's trying to do something for uh, an advantage. But they, they sat there and tried to play the game while the team was celebrating. That's that's corny. Yes, that 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 is that is yes, hypocritical. All that stuff. And just quickly on Harry Kane, just Eddie, and I'll let you kind of get a word in on this. Yeah. Um, did, did he overthink this tournament a little bit? Did he, in those latter games, he seemed to come really, he really seemed to come back a lot to try to be in the link-up play. And he didn't get in the box, I think, the way he would have been more effective. Why do you think he did that? Because it seemed like it completely took away any... Um, any bit of chance of England getting easy shots on anything except for set pieces? Yeah, I, I like I like to point I like to think that it's because of their midfield. I mean, the, yeah, like you guys said that he doesn't. That there's not a like. There's no Pogba. There's no. There's no. There's no one in there to, to feed him. You know to you know give him a crisp pass. So I think he, he has the obligation to, to to you know fall back a little bit and, and you know and then make his run. Um, to the box, but it's, I, I feel like there's, they're, they're going to have to address this. And you guys mentioned this, they're going to have to find a midfielder that's like Pogba and, and, you know, that can, you know, help generate key passes and, and just, you know, help, help carry, you know, help Harry Kane out there. Um, other than that, it's, I mean, it, he's just going to be, you know, a set piece, uh, with this, with this squad as constructed. Yeah. Uh, let's spend less than two minutes on the third place game. Um, John, your thoughts on, uh, uh, well, let me ask, do you think they play, do you think either of these teams play their starters in any significant way? Or is this more of a exhibition game? Do you think any of them care about being a third place team at the World Cup? Um, I don't, I, I doubt it. I don't think they care that much. Uh, and I, I think they will, uh, uh, Southgate and Martinez, they probably will try to put their best team out there. You know, for, as a player, it's going to look bad if you, if you say you don't want to be up for this game. It's a match. People are going to watch it. It's in the World Cup. Uh, but, uh, it's going to be, uh, like a, a Premier League all-star game, right? Like, <laughs> there's all the, all the players from Belgium and on the England team, there's all a bunch of uh, Premier League players. So I guess it's going to be exciting in that sense. I'll watch it. Honestly, I'll watch it, but I don't think they're, they're, and then with it being so close to these losses, they're yeah. probably still going to be heated about it, but yeah, and Eddie, they won't care too much. Eddie, less than thirty seconds. What do you think of this third place game? I think it 
I mean, they should take some pride in it. I mean, yeah, it's not the final, but at the end of the day, how many, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't know. It's, just, it's probably going to be like John said, it's going to be a Premier League All Star tournament. I'm, I think within the first couple of minutes, we'll we'll get a sense of whether or not each squad is taking the the game seriously. And now we are on to Sunday, July fifteenth, which happens to be my birthday. Um, France have the opportunity to host to hoist their second World Cup trophy. They will take on Croatia, obviously, uh, 11 p.m. 11, not, what am I saying? 11 in the morning. Uh, it would be amazing if it was 11 at night, though. Um, let's try that again. Um, France and Croatia, 11 a.m. on Sunday, July 15th. Let's start with going through what we think the potential 11 for France will be. Does Deschamps make any changes at all? Eddie. Uh, I well, let, let's let's start with this though, just to give you a reference. The only the only change I see him making is if Matuidi is not a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, that, Giroud's going to play with, go. with with one leg if he has to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only change that I would see. Um, maybe Matuidi coming out. I'm really, really interesting. I'm really, I really want to see how both midfielder, you know, midfield uh, positions. Um, go up against each other, I, w- I really want to see. I, yeah. I think that's where it's going to be, you know, the deciding factor. If, you know, Rakitic and yeah. Modric can and, get and, by, you yeah, know, we'll the movable object, which yeah. is... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just want to see if, you know, Conte, this, you know, if he can put, you know, any one of those uh, Croatian midfielders in his pocket and, and, and just, you know, like I've heard John said, you know, like nothing's going to get past them. He's a bull, he's a dog, he's... He he's pretty much sucked up anything that comes his way, so it's it's that's that, that's uh, a fascinating you know matchup within the matchup. Yeah, and John, yeah. Uh, if Matuidi can't play, let's just say in theory, because the only two players that would be of any question are Giroud and Matuidi. If Matuidi can't play, who takes his spot? I don't think they change the shape, but who would take his spot? Who would you have take his spot? Yeah, I would I would plug in Tolisso uh, yeah. because I think he's played already in this World Cup and he's been effective and he has the same mentality they all have. He's going to run, he's going to defend, track back, and he can get forward if he needs to. So uh, I think uh, Tolisso would be who I would go with there. Yeah, so I, I don't see many changes for France. Um, Croatia, uh, I don't see many changes for them either. Um, they're going to go with what they have. Um Eddie, any anything that you would change is uh, is there a, p- a potential of anyone coming in? I, I just don't see them changing their lineup either. Yeah, I don't. I don't see. I mean, I don't see anything changing. I mean, unless there's an undisclosed injury. I mean, they've had they played four games in three games, um, but you know, I, I think they should, they'll probably just roll out the same starting eleven. Yeah, so let's let's just go through those quickly. Um, so you'll have Lloris in goal and Subasic in goal for Croatia, Lloris in goal for France. Who has the edge there? Either one of you. Uh, I don't know. I'll, if we're going by recent form, that's a tough one. I would I would go with um, with uh, I'll go with Lloris just just because the last two three matches he's been uh, he's been phenomenal. Eddie. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go with Subasic. I think he's, uh, you know, when Croatia is, you know, when they've given up that first goal, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's stood on, he's, he's stood on his head and not allowed, uh, 
that, you know, backbreaking second goal, so I'm going to go with Subasic. Yeah, I'll go with Floris barely, because I still have seen some of the the Subasic uh, mistakes. They're, they're there. The Monaco Subasic. The Monaco yeah. Subasic, they're still there. He's made a couple yeah. of them, but they haven't really come back to bite him. Uh, yeah. Center backs. Um, for Croatia, it is Dejan Lovren, who apparently, according to him, is the best center back on the planet. <laughs> and Domažel Vida. And the center backs for France are Umtiti and Varane. Uh, Eddie, who would you take center back wise? Uh, one of my friends is enamored with Vita just because of his, you know, silly haircut. But um, <laughs> you know, I, I like I like the way they play. But I'm gonna go with France. I, I I think you know they have the edge right there in the center back position. John. Yeah, I'll go with France, uh, and simply because I think. The, it's like a yin and a yang between them, TT and Varan. Varan is like fast, the, faster than everyone, and he defends like like that, right? And I think the way he plays complements um, uh, MTT really well. Yeah, Varan's game against Belgium was just tremendous. Yeah, right? he was I, he was top notch. Yeah. yeah. All right, um, let's go with our let's go with our uh, fullback battle for Croatia. It'll probably be Sime Versalco. And Ivan Strinic against Benjamin Pavard and Lucas Hernandez. John, who do you have in that? Oh, this is tough. I, know, I this is I'm, a tough one. I, I like I like Croatia's fullbacks because yeah. what uh, the coach the Croatia's coach did in the second half was he sort of switched the tactics where they were kind of all playing defensively in the first half. That's why it was so bland. But in the second half, you saw them getting really forward and they put the pressure on um, on, on the opposing team. And I just like how they get forward. I like Pavard and, and Hernandez. And, you know, they weren't the starters coming into this tournament and they proved everyone that they're really good. But I really like uh, uh, Strenick and uh, Versalico. They're, they're, they're really solid. I'll, I'll pick those two. Eddie? Uh, I'm gonna go with France just on the tilt. I, 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 for me, Benjamin Pavard and, and Lucas Hernandez have both grown on me. Um, I've liked the way that they, you know, pretty much taken the starting jobs. So I'm hoping the, the, the moment isn't too big for those two young players, but I'm, I'm gonna go with them. I would say, I think this is almost a toss up. I would give Croatia a slight edge because I think Versalco has been one of the best um, fullbacks in this entire tournament. And he's, he gives them a whip yep. that I think is going to give France problems. Because Modric is able to switch the play over to Versalco. Versalco can put uh, crosses into the box. I think that's going to be an issue. I think Pavard and Hernandez are going to be asked to do a bit less than uh, Croatia's fullbacks are going to be asked to do. Uh, let's go to the, I guess, well, let's call this the main event, our midfield. Uh, for France, you're gonna have, let's, I think both teams kind of are four, two, three, ones in a way, but, um, let's say, let's count their midfield as Rakitic, Brozovic, and, uh, Modric. That would be Croatia's midfield, and France's midfield being Matuidi, um, Pogba, and Kante. Um, who has the edge? Anybody? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go. Um, I, I'm going to lean Croatia. I just, I love what I've seen out of Rakitic and Modric. Um, you know, it's hard to go up. It's, it's hard, uh, going 
against Pogba and Conte and, and, and the rest of those boys, but I, I, I I'm gonna go with Croatia has a slight uh, has a slight edge um, at the midfield position. Um, would you say that there's any one player that tips that scale for you? Uh, I'm gonna go with. It's not just I'm gonna go with experience and big matches. I'm 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 you know grasping at straws here because I like both midfielders, but I I think you know Modric has played in those big games and and, and as as well as Rakitic and they won. You know they know what it takes to win a Champions League trophy. Um, so I'm I'm just grasping at that that you know that experience can translate over to a World Cup final. John. Yeah, I'll, that is a tough one because, like, like Eddie just brought up, they're they're um, they're you know they're they're tried and tested, Luka Modric and, and Rakitic, they've been there. But for me, like, I'm just going off of what we've seen recently in this tournament, and the, the player that I think should get the golden ball at the end of the tournament, which is Angola Conte, I think he he tips the scale for me. You have Pogba there, and whether you have Matuidi or Talisa, whoever you plug in there. I think they're better than uh, Brozovic, right? And I think that's that's where it happens for me. And just the just the link up and the chemistry of if, if Pogba plays back, the other midfielders go up. If, if Conte stays back, it allows Pogba to play more freely. And um, yeah, I just, I just think then we're I, I think we're all agreeing that that is going to be the deciding factor of this match, the midfield. And uh, I, I would have to lean towards France because I think N'Golo Conte. Uh, it's going to tip that scale for me. Yeah, and that's what I think is fascinating about this uh, this matchup is I, I think you have good arguments either way for whichever midfield you think is slightly better. I think the difference is going to be the physicality. I think the physicality and the athleticism of the French midfield is a little more than Croatia um I think is a little more than Croatia's. And when you watched England in that first half, England athletically were able to give Croatia problems, especially when they pressed in the midfield. If France um, is able to give them that same kind of pressure and be a little bit more athletic in intercepting passes and challenging for balls and Winning, uh, winning, uh, headers in the air. I think that will, uh, that will frustrate Croatia because Croatia's midfield is very much about the intricacies of the passes and the ability to pass their way out of things. And if France can sort of cut that off and be physical with them, I think Croatia will have problems. The key though is they have to be able to do that the whole 90 minutes of the game. Because as England showed, you can you can do that for 60 minutes or so, but eventually Croatia just take the game over with their uh, with their expertise and their ability to just pass in and out of every situation. So I would say France slightly, but again, it's a toss up either way. Let's go to the attack. Um, for France, you have Griezmann, Mbappe, and Giroud. For Croatia, you have Ante Rebic, Ivan Perisic. And Mario Mandzukic. John. Yeah, for me, it's going to be France simply because of the, the versatility and speed of, um, of, of France's attack. And, you know, we talk about the midfield. I think that how that's going to be the deciding factor in the game. 
But I think right below that is going to be Croatia's defense matched up with uh, with Mbappe, Griezmann, and Giroud and those guys. I just think that's going to be a tough task for Lovren, who's been playing good, you know, uh, and his and his uh, his center back partner. I just think their speed and uh, and and their their you know just the way they've been playing this entire tournament is going to be the difference for me at the end in terms of Croatia's defense and France's uh, attack. Eddie, yeah, I'm going to lean towards France on this one just slightly. I mean, I like. Um, Croatia's forwards, you know, they're savvy veterans, but, uh, you know, I, I've just, you know, Kylian Mbappe has been one of the best forwards in this tournament. Um, I expect him to at least have, you know. Um, Eddie, you just cut out again there quickly. Um, I, there you go. I, you know, I, I hopefully, uh, yeah, uh, no, I expect, uh, Griezmann to, to hopefully, I, I, to show up and Giroud, you know, whether he's playing on one leg or not, um, but still, I think, you know, Kylian Mbappe tips the scale for me, um, for taking France. Mbappe, to me, it, it, it's, this is an interesting game for him because it really is, it, it's a, it, he's, and we, we gloss over this and sometimes we just sort of say it as a passing thing. The kid's 19 years old. He's going to be playing in the World Cup final with a chance to bring home the World Cup trophy for his country. And if they are going to win this World Cup and win this game, there's a very good likelihood that he's going to need to score or at least have a very good game. Because if Kylian Mbappe is taking the top off that defense, it's going to force Croatia back. And it's going to make it harder for Croatia to build out of their midfield because so many of their wing players are going to be pinned back. So if Mbappe and Griezmann can pin uh, Croatia's fullbacks into that own into their own end, I think it'll be really tough for Croatia to build out. So it's really he's a 19 year old kid, you know, who two years ago was playing in Monaco's youth academy really is going to be the difference maker in this game. Because it's going to be his pace and his ability to hold up the ball and to link up with Pogba and to get Pogba involved in the middle and to work the ball into the box. It's going to be interesting for him to do this on the grand stage, and I'm really excited to see what he does. So um, we will do predictions. Um, Eddie, who wins... Uh, a score if you'd like. Yeah. And, um, you know what? Actually, can, um, do we think that Didier Deschamps has the coaching edge over, um, Zlato Dalic? I think, um, I think he does in a sense of, I think Zlato Dalic has been phenomenal. I wanted to highlight how he's been impressive and how we're talking about every manager for every team, but we haven't mentioned his name. Yeah. But I think, with that being said, he's very new to this team. Uh, they say he's been like only been there for like nine months, you know, thirteen matches, and he's done well thus far. But I think, like we like I talked about earlier, Deschamps has been with this team for years and years. So in that sense, I would have to give him the edge from a, a managerial standpoint. Eddie. So Eddie, you can um, you can give this the. Uh your look on the coaches and then uh, 
just parlay that into what you, who you think is going to win and why. All right, John. Um, we'll start with you while Eddie gets himself uh, back in here. Um, who wins and why? Um, this is a tough one uh, because I want France to win, right? Like, if I'm rooting for anyone, I'm rooting for France. Uh, <clears throat> but I just, I just can't go off of that based off what I've seen this Croatia team been able to do like that that run through the wall mentality that they have that resilience and them I think there's something to be said about when you look at championship teams in whatever sport in basketball in American football it's about you have to struggle through to, to get to that to that mountaintop and they've struggled if anyone has struggled it's been them they've Play tough matches. They've won in extra time and penalty situations. They've they've played in every situation that you can imagine a team needs to go through and grow through, and uh, it's really tough, man. Uh, but if you know, if, I, if I'm gonna say what I predict, I think is gonna happen. Um, Croatia is gonna get a goal, uh, and it's gonna go into uh, and France is gonna get a goal, and it's gonna go into extra time, and we might have a penalty kick out. Uh, a penalty kick uh, shootout and uh, and France is going to win it on penalties. Yeah. Um, so, here's what I'll say. I think that on aggregate, more times than not, in the sport of football, the better team usually wins, in the sense that the more talented team wins. And as we've kind of gone through this, I feel like these teams are more even than people give them credit for, but I still think France are the better team. And usually in these instances, the better team wins. And at some point, you would think that if the game gets later and France are winning and they're really putting the pressure on it, eventually these Croatian players have to hit a wall. As much adrenaline and energy as you can possibly muster... At some point, an athlete hits a wall. You see it with LeBron James in, I think, last year's final, where he just physically hit a wall. And no matter how good you are, you can't get over that. So, while I'm not counting on Croatia wearing down, it is a distinct possibility to happen. I do not want to jinx anything, so I am not going to give a prediction. (laughs) But... I really think that if France do what they should do and they don't give up an early goal and they don't fall behind and they don't give Croatia that early momentum, that they can they can ride this out and win it. But I'm not saying that they will. That's not a prediction. Eddie, uh, who do you got and why? Uh, I'm going to go with France uh, 2-1. I, I think it's going to be a close game, both um, Croatia and France have, have played close games in these knockout stages. So, um, I, you know, like you said, I expect Mbappe to have uh, his presence known in this match. So I expect him to be the deciding factor, which is why I'm going with France two one. And um, and we'll leave it there. Um, we'll see. Um, we'll see who comes out on top. I'm hoping for France, obviously, but we shall see. Uh, before we go, let's do a little PSG talk now. There are rumors and innuendo that Adrian Rabio is looking for a way out, whether that be in the transfer window this year or at the end of the year on a free. Rumors of him traveling 
you know, he, either him or his mother traveling to Barcelona to have, you know, high stakes contract negotiations. Just, I can only imagine Adrian Rabio's mother and like, um, Bartomeu having like high level discussions. It's just, it's just, it's it's ridiculous. But, um, I, I know where I stand. I see Adrian Rabio as in the end being an expendable piece that can be replaced and can be replaced for similar value. Um, Eddie, um, if you had to say, one year left on his contract. He doesn't seem like he wants to renegotiate. It doesn't seem like he is interested in that. He has suitors. His mother's taking lavish trips to go get her son paid. What do you do with Adrian Rabio going forward? Uh, it's time to cut. It's time to cut loose. I think it's it's it's. He he's starting to believe he's a better player. I mean, we got signed when he when he got when he was left off the France squad. Um, then he was left off the, I think, the reserve squad, I believe. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, no, he, he was on the reserve squad, and then he decided not to do that. Yeah, he, yeah. He, that was his choice. Yeah. That was his choice. Yeah, so we're starting to see this egotistical side of him that, you know, we haven't seen before. I think, you know, when I started, you know, supporting PSG, he was this, uh, you know, he was a, the, the poster boy as being, you know, the French, you know, French... Uh, player that helps PSG lead to the promised land. Um, but it's, 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 it's starting to become too much. I mean, I'm not sure how much of an influence his mother is on him, but it's, it's time to cut loose. If a, if a club is starting, well, is willing to play 40 or 50 million euros for him. I, I think it's, 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 it's time they can sell him. And, uh, John, what, what are you, what do you say about our dear, uh, our dear friend, Adrian? Yeah, from a from a business standpoint, if you're Nasser and uh, and, and Terra Henrique, it's if if he's flirting with other teams and stalling and resigning the contract, yeah, peace, peace out. Because I don't I don't understand what you know what I mean like what what he wants out of this. You you have a starting position. You're starting for one of the biggest clubs in Europe. You know what I mean. You missed out. You missed out on the World Cup, sure, but. You know, like all that complaining and, and, uh, you know, I, I, that, that left a bad taste in my mouth in terms of before that, prior to that, I really like Rabia. I like the way he played. I like the way he conducted himself as interviews. When we lost in the Champions League, he was the player that kind of stepped up and said, this is unacceptable. We can't continue to play like this. And then here comes the summer where he doesn't make the World Cup and he starts crying. Like, And, and when I read the article of what he had to say, it was like, I've worked hard my whole life. I wanted to be in the World Cup. I'm like, dude, so does N'Golo Conte. So does Paul Pogba. So does Quarantine Tolisso. Like, you're not the only one who's worked hard to do this. Like, we all in life work hard to, to feel like we deserve something. And I just that mentality as a player, I wouldn't want to play with anyone like that. But on the pitch, he's very good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... But it's, it comes down to if he's already his mom or whoever's already flirting with other teams and he's stalling on re-signing the contract, he's got to go. And, you know, they, from what I'm reading, uh, Intero wants him gone. Uh, Tuchel is on the fence. He doesn't really care as long as you replace him. And Nasser wants him to save. But I don't think what Nasser thinks, I don't think it's much of an influence because we've seen him 
say that he likes Serge Aurier and he's gone. You know what I'm saying? He, he can like you, but that don't mean, he, you know, he, he won't cut you loose. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? So that, that's why I stand on it. Like, if, if he's already flirting with other teams, we, we, can, we can replace him. Yeah, this is a business decision. Last year, Marco Verratti had something similar come up with Barcelona, but the difference was... Marco Verratti was under contract until 2022, and he still is. So if you got a guy under contract for four years, there's no reason to sell him because you're not at a point where you really financially have to sell him and you're not getting, um, you're not getting the value for him that you, that you signed up for. And it was also a matter of principle. You sign eight contract extensions. You know, you, you have an obligation to sort of stay with that club. Marco Verratti is not, and and I've had this conversation with people on Twitter, and they're and they're they're trying to think of all the reasons why you keep him, and I understand all of them. The issue, though, is he has one year left on his contract. You can either sell him now for forty million, or do what Arsenal did and sell a fifty million euro player for twenty million euros. You could do that, but I don't see what purpose that serves. For me, it's if the guy's not going to sign, and this is how it all clubs should should act. If you have a guy under contract and he's in the last year and he doesn't want to sign and he has no interest in signing and he's not, you know, communicating in the way he needs to communicate, trade his ass, get get assets for him, get money yeah. for him. And go get somebody else while you still can. And it's a it's an extra forty million that they didn't expect to have. So take that forty million, spend it on another midfielder, replace the guy, and move on. You can't be held hostage by this 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 spoiled you know spoiled brat and his mother. Like that, I, I'm sorry, and I know Nasir has a emotional attachment to the kid. But this is a business decision, and it, and it should be a business decision. Let let Enrique get the deal he needs to get, move on. I don't expect Adjun Rabio to be starting in a midfield with Rakitic um, and Philippe Coutinho, so I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure what this does for Adrian Rabio, but um, <laughs> if he wants to go, more power to him. Um, yeah, and that's the- I yeah. think it's important that PSG is trying to win right now, and they don't have time to be worrying about you being on the fence about something. I need to know what you want to do right now because we're trying to win right now, you know. Yeah, you, you, oh. you, you can't, you can't, you can't fiddle fuck around with this. It's either he's yeah. there or he's not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So PSG played their first friendly yesterday behind closed doors. They beat a fourth division side 1-0. Um, notable people to play in that game were Adrian Rabio. He actually showed up. Um, uh, Christopher Nkunku, Timothy Weah played. Um, i trying to think. There's some other guys. Uh, Stanley and Soki played. It really was basically a reserve side. Lasana Diara was the captain. I actually yeah. want to get a word on yeah. Lasana Diara quickly because I feel like even though he's been there for six months, he's starting to take a leadership role. And I think especially with a lot of the top players away on international duty, I feel like DR has been a... I feel like he's been a good signing in that sense. I think we didn't really get much out of him last year just because of the, the situation and you know where he was coming from and all that stuff. 
But I feel like he's a guy that's given them something. He's given them some leadership. And it's interesting to see that with Adrian Rabio on the field, the guy that's getting the captain's armband is uh, Lasana Diara. Yeah. Uh, just, just a, just a quick point on that. I think he's, he sort of replaces, not, not, he doesn't replace Thiago Mota at all, but from a leadership a- aspect, yes, because you see him, he's real close with a lot of those young French guys and Kunku and Bappe and even Adrian Rabio. He's really like, you know, like building with them. And I think that's important for him to like, you know, he's one of those guys where you need, he has that dog in him, and he's a good locker room guy, and I think he brings that leadership mentality, particularly for the for the young French guys too. Eddie, yeah, I gotta agree. Yeah, that's that's something I, I actually didn't know about, so that's that's good to know. Um, but he's he's becoming a leader, and, and you can never have too many leaders that can um, rile up. You know, that can keep this. You know, PSG always goes through some kind of controversy, so it's hopefully we have enough leaders to. Uh, you know, keep that within the uh, within the clubhouse. Yeah, and it already seems like Tomas Tuchel is doing some experimenting. He played with three at the back. Um, according to, mm-hmm. it's hard to tell because n- not a lot of people are let into these things. But it looked like he played three at the back. He played a three-two-four-one, which um, and if anyone wants to talk about sort of any of their expectations for Tuchel and what they're sort of. Maybe what that tells you. I, I'm not sure what it tells me yet, but I just thought it's interesting to throw that out there for the listeners. Yeah, um, I think he's probably going to put... Uh, uh, I, I think he's going to include Draxler in the starting lineup. I think he's going to go Draxler, Verratti, potentially Rabiot or his replacement. And, um, uh, and, uh, you know, Neymar, I, it, I think it's just gonna, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's gonna, it would be interesting if he does, if this is the formation that it does, you know, it, it um, it's an interesting formation to see if, uh, a lot of the attacking forwards will see the field. Yeah, it actually, it, it is. It's, um, it's gonna be interesting, especially I think it'll be more interesting in the ICC because they'll have, um, they'll have more, uh, They'll have more of their players back, so you'll see a little bit more of what they're going to look like. But I just, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, you're, I'm not sure if we've talked to you, John, about Thomas Tuchel uh, since uh, he's been appointed. Um, any of your thoughts on what you see from him and uh, what you think his, I guess, first few steps are going to be as the head coach? Yeah, I'm... <clears throat> Um, uh, to be quite honest, I didn't really know a lot about the guy other than being at Dortmund uh, before he came to PSG. But just from listening to podcasts, reading articles, uh, he seems to have a good uh, good rapport with his players, good reputation. And uh, from one of one of my uh, one of the things that really I liked because um, in my in my professional job I'm I'm in a leadership role. And when you go into a leadership role, the first thing you want to do is kind of observe and assess the situation and, and, and see how you want to implement. And we were reading Jonathan Johnson and a couple of people were putting up articles about how he's like inquiring about where these guys eat out, what they like to eat, what they like to do in their free time. Things like that for me is it's like a refreshed, you know, it's like a new energy in the building. 
Um, and you can tell from that alone that he's going to put his stamp on on this team. Like, he's changing the locker room and how it looks, the training facility. He's, you know, he, he's, he's putting his stamp on this team, and I like that so far. And, uh, you know, if he's willing to put three in the back, I'm a fan of that. Uh, it, it'll be something different for PSG, the PSG we've known for years and years. We've never played three in the back, so, you know, it's going to be interesting once the guys start coming back from their vacations, and obviously the French the French guys are going to be, you know, aren't going to be back anytime soon, but we'll see what happens. But so far, you know, so far he, he he's, he's uh, on the right foot for me. Um, uh, John, did we talk about the Buffon signing with you? No. All right, no, give your, I, I already got Eddie's thoughts. Let me get your thoughts before we write yeah, off the sunset. Um, I like uh, I like it. I don't love it. Uh, it's one of those things, you know, like uh, for me, a nostalgic thing. It's it's John Luigi Buffon, one of the greatest ever. He's playing for PSG. I I like it in the terms of if you're gonna bring him on to be a mentor and to play in some matches if we need him. But if he's coming in. As a starter, and if we're going by the rollout they did, for they gave him a Neymar rollout. That's not a rollout for a guy who's going to be on the bench, in my opinion. So, like, you know, if, if that's yeah, well, if, if that's what we're doing, then you know, you know, what does that mean for Ariola? Everyone seemed to be, you know, big on Ariola, like he's taking that next step, in which I think he is, but it's not at the speed that I would like to see him. I feel like Ariola could be better at this point, but you know, and there's rumors of him potentially leaving so but i feel like we can do well with with buffon like like if, if it came down to it if he was our starter i would i would go to sleep well at night like i would be fine with that but i think it adds an extra not drama but an extra something else for us to worry about of who's going to be our number one goalkeeper we haven't had a solid number one in a long time so you know we're right back to it all right um thank you guys for coming on um Always appreciate it. Eddie, just give your Twitter, and then John, follow up with yours and anything you guys may be working on. Yeah, uh, well, my Twitter is Eddie1999Razo. Uh, some, something I'm hope, I'm planning to work on in the coming weeks. I'm going to touch on Marco Verratti's form over the last couple of years and, and just what to expect from him now with the new manager. John? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at God for short, G O D F R S H O R T. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm already starting to write down some things on, 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 uh, some PSG players' performances in the World Cup. Uh, so just be on the lookout for that and, you know, excited to get back into the club season as well. So it should be, it should be a fun year. Thank you guys very much for Eddie Razzo and John Olangi. This has been PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon saying au revoir for now.